Little beeps happen all the time at our house. Uh, it, it could be the sound of the microwave telling us that, uh, that the time is done. It could be the timer going off on the oven. Uh, it could be the, the sound of the oven telling us that the, the right temperature is, is on there now, and you can put your, your item in there. Uh, the dishwasher will often sing to us when it's done with this little three tones that it has. Uh, oftentimes, you'll hear a lot of beeping coming from uh, games on personal devices throughout our house. You might hear uh, the refrigerator telling us or someone that they left the door open and it needs to get closed so that things don't get too, uh, too warm in there. We even have a little robotic vacuum that goes around our main level, and if it gets uh, stuck on something or if it gets too full or if there's other issues with it, it will let us know that something is, is wrong with us. So we have no shortage in our house of short, little, high-pitched tones communicating something to us. But a few weeks ago, Julie and I heard a series of beeps that we had never heard before coming from an area of the house that we had never heard beeps before. And so as we investigated, we noticed that the carbon monoxide detector in our bedroom uh, was making uh, some, some racket. Now, um, it had never done that before, and uh, when we went and took a look at it, the little light that's usually green was... Uh, was red, and, and that was very strange, and, and, and Julie and I are, are typically not people that are prone to uh, panicking about anything, and so uh, instead of uh, shooing everyone outside in the cold, we decided to just unplug it and look on the back where there's the little key telling you what is wrong based on the pattern of beeps uh, that that particular unit is, uh, is, is uh, telling us, and it turned out that the batteries were just low and that it just needed a new set of double A's, and once we fix that, you know, no more beeping, and, and we're well on our way to protection. Uh, it was a simple process for a very important uh, device. Uh, the carbon monoxide detector serves as a very crucial function in our house. Its sole job is to be on alert constantly for carbon monoxide, the silent killer. It is so sensitive that it can detect after uh, a certain amount of time, as little as 40 parts per million. Uh, though it uh, is uh, plugged in and, and has batteries, uh, the batteries are for backup per, uh, purposes. It is such an important device uh, in a home that if one fails to have one or many throughout their, their home, or if the detection unit itself fails, it, uh, it could result in uh, big harm for the family that lives in that place. So this little, seemingly insignificant device has one very important job, which is to constantly be on alert for carbon monoxide. And today we're going to finish up one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament to get our heads around. And for as much disagreement and much uh, misunderstanding as has gone into this chapter historically, there is one single theme that emerges from it the need to be alert. And just as a uh, carbon monoxide detector is focused on nothing other than sensing the levels of uh, a certain gas in the air, uh, the people of God need to be on full alert for the day of Christ Jesus. And instead of being plugged in and assessing the, the levels of the signs in our times within the culture, this passage tells us that the Christian 
is to be on alert in how he or she lives their lives. So if you're in Mark chapter 13, I invite you to join me in verse 24 through the end of the chapter. This is what, uh, what Mark writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds for from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches, uh, its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. And truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be on alert, for you do not know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or at the, the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. So if you're plugged into Christ today, you have the sole responsibility of being alert. And Jesus points to how to do that in three ways. The first is, is that we need to be alert through evangelism. Be alert through evangelism. Uh, so last week I mentioned how I believe that Mark 13 is separated really into two different parts. That the first 23 verses uh, point towards the events that would happen in the lifetime of Jesus' disciples. Uh, that Jesus' words were pointing directly to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in particular in AD 70. And that second, uh, the verses 24 through 37... Uh, refer to events that would mark the end of the age. Uh, however, after careful study and, and, and prayer uh, and wrestling with this text, I have changed what I believe to be happening in these verses. I no longer uh, believe that these verses are referring—I I believe now that these verses are referring to the same events as verses 1 through 23. Uh, there are plenty of verses throughout the New Testament that point towards the, the end of— uh, the age or end of the earth, uh, but I don't think this one is one of them. That doesn't mean that there aren't wonderful things that we can't pull out of these words. Uh, uh, God shows us wondrous things from his law all the time, um, but we can be productive because we can be encouraged to uh, be people of evangelism, both local and um, global, and evangelism meaning telling people about the good news of Jesus. Look with me in verses 24 through 25. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. 
So when we were going through the book of 1 Samuel a number of months ago, one of the continual phrases that I brought almost every week was the idea that the details matter. In order to get our, our minds around such a difficult text like this, we have to pay careful attention to the language and the, uh, the context of what is happening to let Scripture interpret uh, Scripture. The language that Jesus is using here is heavily steeped in the Old Testament judgment language. So in order to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to measure it against how his words here are, are taken from the Old Testament. Uh, now, I don't want to put uh, in front of you uh, a bunch of Bible drills this morning, and I certainly don't want to have to take the time to go through every single one of these verses. I will have them on the screen for you so that you can reference them, but as far as it goes, I just ask that this morning you, you trust me in where, uh, where Jesus is uh, laying this here. So notice that Jesus begins our passage with the words, in those days after that tribulation. So in using the word that, we have to come to the logical realization that Jesus is clearly telling us that this is one tribula tribulation uh, among many that are to come. And with that in mind, he goes on to say, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, one of the reasons why uh, people look at Mark 13, especially in these verses, and and uh, extrapolate the idea of this being an end times uh, theory is that this seems so cataclysmic, right? I mean, if the sun stops showing its light, and, and obviously if the sun darkens, then the moon is going to darken, right? And if stars were to fall from heaven, well, I mean, that would be sort of a scary, uh, a, a scary event. And yet, I want to suggest to you that Jesus is not speaking literally here. He's speaking metaphorically. If you look in Isaiah chapter 13, uh, it is a chapter that's referring to the coming judgment on Babylon. Uh, if you remember, Babylon came uh, into Judah, into Jerusalem, and completely decimated the entire country and sent uh, Israel out as exiles for 70 years until they were able to, to come back. Now, to the pagan mind... The sun and the moon and the stars are celestial powers that influenced human affairs. They are set against the Lord uh, so as uh, they dim in God's judgment. God's uh, glory brightens even more. Now, throughout Scripture, those who are set against God will see the coming day of the Lord. And uh, those, those powers that think they're more great and more mighty than the Lord himself will be brought to nothing. And in Jesus' day, it was not the Babylonians that were set against God and his anointed, but the very people of Israel themselves. They're headed towards the events of 70 AD for their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. And as the Romans would make their way into the city and... Sorry, this... I feel like Madonna when I wear this microphone sometimes, but this thing is so annoying. So as the Romans would make their way into the city and utterly destroy the temple and everything that they held dear, it was as if everything in the Israelites' world was crashing down. Their sun and their moon and their stars would come down before them, figuratively speaking. 
And this judgment language continues now in verse 26 when Jesus says that they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Again, this is language taken directly from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, Daniel sees this vision of a Son of Man coming uh, on the clouds of heaven. And from everything that I can gather, both in Daniel 7 and Mark 13 here, it does not refer to what we would think of as the second coming of Jesus, but rather it is to signify uh, judgment against Israel. It is a judgment that will signify the end of Israel's representation as God's people uh, on earth in the beginning of the church as the new Israel, consisting of both redeemed Jews and Gentiles. Not a replacement, but a fulfillment of what Israel was meant to be in Christ. Now here's where we're going with this. This judgment the sacking of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, for as brutal as it was, God used that particular event to spur on great global evangelism that would go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Verse 27 tells us that he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, if you've uh, been with the church uh, in general for any time, you've probably heard the word rapture before. Um, it's not a word that you even find in the Bible, but it is a word that we use to classify some things. Uh, it's an end times theory uh, of an end times event when Christian believers are, uh, are, that are alive are gathered with Christian believers who are resurrected to meet Jesus in uh, the air prior to his second coming. It would be easy to see verse 27 as referring to that uh, in order to fit that narrative, but I don't think that's what's happening. Rather, it seems that Jesus is referring to the mandate of the church in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Go, therefore, into all the earth, go into all the world, and make disciples of the nations. And this would make sense when you consider that the Greek word for angels is the word angelos, which is also translated as messengers. And so as God is sending out his messengers, this language of the, the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven is a term for all of the world. He is sending his messengers for the gospel to go out. So based on all of this, we can conclude that the judgment of Israel has resulted in the gospel going forth into all uh, people, tongues, tribes, and nations of which we are still yet to fulfill and we are not only beneficiaries, but we are also participants as we enjoy the fruit of the gospel and strive towards making Jesus' name known in our sphere of influence and throughout the world. So if you want to be alert, it means opening up your eyes to the people and the situations that God has placed you in. It means taking the risk to turn from your, your normal uh, your mundane uh, con conversing into spiritual conversations with other people. It is to turn the tides to redeem our relationships so that they can be gospel-driven and have gospel fruit. It means not just going through the motions of the home life, but helping your children to understand how the gospel fits into every little uh, detail in our lives. You have the opportunity to participate with God in the greatest mission that has ever been known to humanity. 
in the eternal work of leading people into the kingdom of God. There is a lost and dying world right in front of us, and we must be alert through evangelism. Second, we should be alert through trusting in Jesus' words. Be alert through trusting in Jesus' words. Jesus again warns his disciples that they ought to be able to see the warning signs that are coming uh, their way, and they ought to prepare accordingly. And Jesus uses a metaphor here in verse 28. He says, Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. So in Israel, just as it is in Minnesota, uh, the leaves uh, fall away uh, during the, the autumn, and they come back again in the, in the spring. We know that when the leaves start changing, we know that fall is coming. We don't have to have a calendar for that. We don't have to know that it's mid-September or early October or whatever it is. We have just had so much experience over time to know that autumn is near when that, uh, that comes. The same thing happens in the spring. When the streets are wet because of the, the, the amount of melting of snow going into the, into the sewer system. And there's little uh, tree buds that are growing on the trees. That spring is just around the corner. We don't need a groundhog to tell us how long it's going to be until the weather starts getting nice. We just know it. This is so cyclical and so immutable that we don't even consider that there's nothing that we can do about it. There's a lot of us that really wish right now that it would be 70 degrees and sunny right now. How many of you can make that happen? Nobody. I really wish that after church today, that I could go over to Coburn's and get me a pumpkin spice latte. But you know what? It ain't pumpkin spice season. I can't. I can't go to them and pay more. It's not in or on the shelves. It's not something that I control, can control. It's just what it is. And Jesus goes on now in verse 29 to lay the punchline. He says, in the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. So the coming judgment isn't something that they or we could speed up or slow down. It can only be anticipated with careful uh, expectation and study and trust of God's word. And we're called to this exact same thing that Jesus was talking to his disciples about. Though Jesus is referring to these events that will happen in their generation, it doesn't cancel out the fact that you and I need to know, love, and cherish and be people of, of Jesus' words. We're to be students and practitioners of the Bible. We are the happy ones that Psalm 1 talks about, where it says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers? Instead, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Lord's instructions, and he meditates on it day and night. And here's the result. He is then like a, like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he, he prospers. In these last days that you and I are living in, it is only the words of our Lord that will help us navigate through the confusion of our culture. It is only the word of the Lord that gives us a lamp on, onto our feet so that as we walk through this dark world, we don't stub our toes and trip. 
or hurt ourselves. It is only the precious words of the Bible that provides an anchor for our soul so that as we are out on the sea of life, the current just doesn't pull us any way that the current is, is going. It is an anchor for our soul. It is only God's word that we can trust to learn how, who we truly are and how great God's love is for us in spite of who we are. This word is enduring. Look in verse 30 says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So here's another clear sign that Jesus is talking to his disciples for their lifetime. Notice he says here that truly I tell you, this generation, which generation? The one that's in front of him. We tend to think of generations as about 20 years. If you look at uh, sociologists uh, looking at the um, Generation X or, or the Millennials or, or Gen Y or Gen Z, generally we're within a 30-year period or so. Within the Bible, a generation is about 40 years. And since this happens during Holy Week, and we know that Holy Week was probably in A.D. 33, what is, what is 33 plus 40? It is 73 so it is within this generation that these things are going to happen. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things take place. And Jesus uses the transient nature of their existence to compare it to the enduring words of the Lord. He essentially says, your generation is going to come and go. You know what? Even heaven and earth and everything else here is all going to just pass away and be gone one day. But you know what's not? My word. My word it will never pass away. What do you have that is that enduring? What do you own? What relationship do you have that will stand the test of eternity? The answer is nothing except your ever-living soul. But God's word will never pass away. They will always be living and active. So why place our hope why place your future and your resources into things that are going to go into the grave with you? Why trust something that won't deliver you from fear or from danger or from guilt or shame or even death? It is a privilege to have God's word to us. What a grace that we have the words of life in our hands. What a joy it is to know God through how he has revealed himself in his word. Friends, we need to be alive. We need to be uh, alert. And we need to be awake to God. And we can do that principally through his word. So we ought to trust Jesus's word. And third and finally, we need to be alert through expectation. Be alert through expectation. A few years ago, it was time for bed, and I, I shut out the lamp next to my bed and rolled on my side, as I always do, and then, and then I heard it. It was a slow scratching behind the headboard. It was sporadic. It was moving. It was accompanied by some squeaking. And so you can imagine that my once 
sleepy mind was now in DEFCON 2. I'm wide awake, and I'm trying to think, first of all, what is this? This can't be a mouse. This is moving way too slow for a mouse. It can't be a squirrel. It, 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 squirrels tend to be a little uh, crazy from what I understand in, in, in uh, areas like that. So I, I, bet it's a bat, I bet it's a bat. And then I start thinking, holy cow, there's nothing between me and a bat except this little thing of sheetrock. There is a bat in our house. And so the anxiety starts kicking up here a little bit. And, if, and I'm thinking uh, about the framework of our house. I mean, if this bat can get in uh, behind our wall, then where else in the house could the, could the attic possibly go to? How is our house laid up? And so then I start thinking about uh, if we have any entry points anywhere. And I start thinking about the fact that we have holes in the wall. And I remember that there's a, a hole in the wall from our room that goes to the boys' room because there used to be a phone line that went in there. And Man, bats can get in with like a quarter of an inch. And so I'm sitting here at, at night thinking about all the, the, the ceiling panels that we don't have up in our uh, basement. And, and uh, I'm thinking, man, if sleep is even possible, if I can even go to sleep, what if this bat gets out while I'm asleep? And he has the run of the house. I don't trust my cat as any sort of predator. My cat is pretty weak. She sat and watched us me and the kids chase a mouse around the basement one time and did nothing about it. So I didn't get much sleep that night, nor did I the next night until we had the problem taken care of. I did, however, get some joint compound and close up every known hole that we had uh, in any wall. Now here's the thing. That night I didn't know if or when a bat would get into our house, but I was alert to the fact that he might. And if he happened to make his way in, I happened to know right where a tennis racket was and that I used to play baseball and I surely wouldn't miss. Being on alert along with an anxiety diagnosis allowed me to be ready in case any critter comes in for a night invasion. Now in verses 32 through 37, Jesus is telling his disciples that there is a bat in the ceiling. Rome is scratching on the wall, and there's coming a day in which they are going to find their way in. And they will take no prisoners. They must be alert. They must be absolutely ready. And he has already said in verses 24 through, uh, sorry, 14 through 23, that when they did, that Jesus' people are to hightail it out of Jerusalem. Get out of there. And they don't know when that bat is coming, but they better be ready. Look in verse 32. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now this verse can uh, be disturbing for some of us because we rightly hold to Jesus' deity. That he's very God of very God. He's truly God and truly, he's truly God. And that if he is God and he is omniscient, which means he knows all things, then how in the world does he not know when his time is coming? And I think the most satisfying answer can be found when we consider that God is not only truly God, and that Jesus is not only truly God, but that he's also truly man. That he holds a divine nature and a human nature. So as complicated and as confusing as it might be, we have to believe here that in his human nature, God the Father had not revealed to him when that time was going to come. 
Do I believe he knows it now in his glorified, resurrected self? Yes, probably. But at this point, he does not know it was concealed. And this adds weight to his command to be ready. If he doesn't know it, well, golly, we ought to humble ourselves. Let that guy on TBN that says it's going to be on XYZ day at this certain hour, well, how does he know? So we need to be humble in that way. There's no way that I could have known if or when that bat was coming in, but you better believe I was prepared. Now look in verse 33. It says, watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. Now what is this alert supposed to look like? He says in verse 34, it is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, and gave each one his work and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. I once house sat for a, for a friend's parents when I was in high school, and there was a list of things that I was supposed to do while they were gone that, that they weren't overly hard, but they were certainly time sensitive, and if I didn't do them, then they would certainly have uh, be some problems. So I had, uh, they demanded attention. Now, uh, what do you suppose would have happened if I would have neglected to, uh, to do anything that I was hired to do? Uh, not only would there be dead plants, uh, probably uh, a few dead fish and a starving dog, but there also wouldn't be money going into my pocket for that weekend either. Uh, there were things that I needed to do in anticipation for their return. In much the same way, Jesus tells his disciples that there are things that they need to do in order to be ready while they wait. And though it was pointing to 30 years in the future, the same is true for you and for me. Jesus promises that he is coming back and that there is a day uh, that we best not be found sitting on the couch with potato chips all over our chest and our tummy, binge-watching the latest Netflix show. But rather, Scripture tells us that the crucial things that we must consider are things like to be holy, to strive for holiness, to be holy as God is holy. We are to meet together regularly as a body of believers. We are to pray for one another. We are to avoid sin and not neglect doing what God has called us to do. We are to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. That's what it looks like to be ready. It's not setting up a lawn chair in your front yard putting on some sunglasses and looking at the sky and just waiting for Jesus to show up. While we wait, there is work to be done. It is getting your hands dirty in the messiness of a broken world so that Christ's redemption can come to as many as, as possible. It is facing the ugliness of our lives and in the world with our heads high because we know that Christ has won in the end. Now he goes on in verse 35. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. Friends, the bat is in the wall, and there are many entrance points. The time is coming. Don't sleep. Be alert. 
There are beeps all over every day at the Rue House. They're, they're all communicating something to us all. Each one gives us a different alert, and we're ready for every single one of them. Jesus is sounding the alarm tones here. He is coming. And even though he has spent these verses talking directly to his disciples, he ends this discourse by looking into the future and talking to every single one of us. He says, And what I say to you, disciples, I say to everyone. So what I've said to you, disciples, I say to Emmanuel Baptist Church. I say to Hillman Baptist. I say to First Pres. I say to everybody, be alert. The time is near. Are you alert? Let's pray.